0: Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining me on AM Live. Hope you're having a good weekend. So today I want to talk about a couple of topics. Uh, this uh, this week's turmoil in the House with the uh, uproar over Republicans, a group of uh, rebel Republicans holding their vote for Kevin M- McCarthy uh, until he gave them concessions. And after 14 rounds, he finally gave in and they won something. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is just the latest in the Ukraine proxy war. But on this Republican deb- debacle, I don't usually say too much about domestic politics because it's just not my area of, of focus, and I don't think I really have much insightful to contribute on the topic most of the time or, or unique. But this force, this 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 debacle in the House and the in the media reaction to it, um, I thought has huge implications for. Progressive politics, which is which is my concern, because I consider myself a progressive. And as most people listening to this will will remember, two years ago, a similar idea emerged among progressives um, to what Republicans just did, which was that when back when there was a narrow Democratic majority in the House and Nancy Pelosi needed every single Democratic vote, basically, the idea was, and it was it was popularized by Jimmy Dore and Brianna Joy Gray and others for progressive Democrats to use their leverage to get concessions. So to say to Pelosi, we'll vote for you, uh, but we're not going to just give you our vote. We want something in return. And so the idea from Jimmy Dore was that there'd be a floor vote for Medicare for All. And even though you know that vote would probably be defeated, still the idea was that it would be a galvanizing mo- mo- moment for the movement for Medicare for All to see during a pandemic the House voted down. And that, that experience might help build some momentum and some awareness around Medicare for All. And Jimmy picked Medicare for All in particular because that was such a popular issue among progressives. So this would be something that, you know, ev- everybody um, in the progressive movement, no matter, you know, how you felt about other issues, could get behind. Uh, and other, you know, Brianna Joy Gray also put forward other asks as well. Um, you know, even stuff that would not be defeated or, may, or might not be defeated and uh initially, there was a group of of you know in like the lefty media space there was you know some broad support for it, but we saw that after the squad refused to take up that suggestion, there became this very bitter fight where people who initially supported the force the vote proposal turned on Jimmy uh, and started attacking him for advancing it and it became very very bitter well, fast forward two years later uh and Republicans, a group of them, have done exactly what Jimmy Dore and Brown and Joy Gray and others were advocating, which is they've withheld their vote in exchange for concessions. And a lot of what they asked for is stuff I don't support. There's procedural stuff and I believe they wanted to cut food stamps, which of course I something I abhor. And I think they wanted to ramp up border enforcement. Apparently they also wanted to seek a, a cut in military spending. And as far as I know, they actually did win that, which is, of course, something I would support, you know, because I think the Pentagon budget is already obscene. But anyway, the point is they did something. They used their leverage for something and they won. And to me, their action and the reaction to it um, is a huge vindication for the force to vote advocates in many ways, because, first of all, they won something concrete by not giving in. And then also they drew attention for the entire week, this this. It, this this uh, saga in the house was like the issue of this week in the U.S. media, nonstop focus. And so, if, imagine if progressives had done that, except for their causes, for Medicare for all or whatever else they decided to use as their ask back then. Uh, this would have been, I think, a really important movement for the for, for the progressive cause if they had done this. And so. And then you have the, the reaction inside establishment in Washington, which is to attack these Republicans and say they're undermining democracy. And some of even said they're undermining national security somehow, which, of course, they do, because anytime there's anything that threatens the establishment in some way, it's always used to somehow claim that, oh, they're, they're handing a gift to Putin. They're helping our adversaries because we're looking weak. But um, so the reaction to it, I think, displays it shows what contempt there is for democracy, because, you know, in a democracy there shouldn't just be blind obedience to a leader, no matter what your party is. You should be actually trying to get concessions that you think are in your, the interest of your, of your constituency. And that's what these Republicans did. And the reaction to them has been harsh condemnation. And I just kept thinking this whole week, imagine if progressives had done that. It would have, um, I think, been a really galvanizing moment, a positive moment for the progressive cause. So, I mean, here, for example, is Chip Roy of Texas. He's one of these um, holdouts. And this is what he said this week about, you know, how despite all the condemnation for the, the rebel rep- Republicans, it actually, this kind of display is actually healthy for a democracy.
1: Well, first of all, uh, you know, let's remember that uh, a little temporary conflict is necessary in this town in order to stop this town from rolling over the American people. I don't think anybody... Uh, on either side of the aisle, could uh, say with a straight face that they think that Washington is doing uh, good work for the American people on a regular basis and isn't broken. Uh, it, we we have to work to fix this place. And look, some of the tensions you saw on display uh, when we saw some of the you know the interactions there between Mike Rogers and Matt Gates, uh, you know, some of that is we need a little of that. We need a little of this sort of breaking the glass in order to get us to the table in order to fight for the American people and to change the way this place is dysfunctional. Well, first of all, uh, you know, let's remember.
0: So, you know, imagine a progressive Democrat saying that first of all, imagine a progressive Democrat challenging Hakeem Jeffries or Nancy Pelosi. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, In both cases, all members of the squad and other progressives have unanimously voted for Hakeem Jeffries uh, and Nancy Pelosi. And, AOC even bragged on MSNBC about how um, uh, all progressives had had lined up behind Hakeem Jeffries. Here she is.
1: First of all, uh, you know, let's remember that uh, a little temporary.
0: That's not AOC. Sorry, this is AOC here
2: and get people in line and a lot of times information and truth is currency um so sometimes to be able to fact check some of the claims that McCarthy is making uh whether Democrats are going to defect or not etc is important in order to keep him honest and to keep people honest in general and so you know I think what was important today was to send the message that we were united uh behind uh, Hakeem Jeffries as um the now minority leader uh, or as leader of the Democrats and that there would be no defections, that Democrats are here. Uh, we're not going anywhere. And if they want to play ball,
3: we're open to that. That's-
0: so that's AOC bragging about how Democrats are united behind Hakeem Jeffries and contrast that with Republicans who are saying, no, we're not united behind uh, a person. We're actually trying to fight for policies that we think uh, are in the interests of our constituency. And whether they're right or wrong, the point is they're fighting for something instead of just being blindly obedient. And it's the fact for, for progressives to be so behind, united behind Hakeem Jeffries is doubly ironic because not only are they not using their position to fight for uh, issues that they care about, using their leverage to fight for issues they care about, they're also y- uniting behind a guy who's been a bitter opponent of theirs. Hakeem Jeffries has denounced democratic socialists, says I'll never bend the knee to them. He's tried to primary some of them, and some and before, back when she was first elected, AOC was talking about trying to primary Hakeem Jeffries. What happened to that? Uh, now she's bragging about how united progressives are behind them. And to me, this is all you know, all part of the this trend we've seen from progressives, where on all these key issues, after talking about challenging the establishment of their own party, they're not. And you know, nowhere, nowhere, is that more stark, aside from. This, you know the the speakership votes than the Ukraine proxy war where uh, they've all been unanimous in, in voting for you know bill after bill spending billions of dollars on that war and meanwhile let's talk about that war so the US has just approved its largest single weapons package for Ukraine to date uh, they're giving uh, Ukraine uh, Bradley fighting vehicles uh, which is significant for Ukraine but They're still not what Ukraine was asking for. Ukraine's been asking for battle tanks. And among other things, uh, they've also asked for fighter jets and long-range precision missiles. And the U.S. hasn't provided any of those big asks uh, of Ukraine to, to, uh, to, to the Ukraine government. And why is that? Well, the New York Times explained it a few weeks ago. And I wrote about this in my latest Substack article, which... I'll link to. But the New York Times a few weeks ago explained basically what is the U.S. calculus inside Ukraine? And the Times says this, Putin's unwillingness to fight NATO directly has been key to the alliance's ability to provide the very supplies that have kept Kiev in the fight. Putin has shown he will accept high levels of international support for Ukraine as long as those weapons are used in Ukraine. Therefore, the critical calculus for U.S. officials is whether Putin will see a weapon system as something meant to attack Moscow or something meant to be used inside of Ukraine. And their aim is not to give Putin an excuse to expand the war. So this is a very revealing passage to me because what they're saying is, well, first of all, it's welcome, of course, that the U.S. is trying to do what it can to avoid escalating the war and leading to a direct confrontation with NATO and Russia. That's what they're trying to avoid. That's welcome. It's a good thing that the U.S. is trying to avoid a direct war with Russia. At the same time, though, it's also revealing of their callousness and their indifference toward Ukrainian lives, because they're willing to provide just enough weapons to keep the fight in Ukraine. In, in the words of the of the Times, the weapons that have quote kept Kiev in the fight. So as long as the weapons are used inside Ukraine, that's fine. But if, but they don't they don't want to go beyond that. But simultaneously, they're also saying that Putin is Hitler and wants to wipe out Ukraine. Well, if you really believe that, why aren't you giving Ukraine all the weapons that it wants? And the answer is because the aim here is not to defend Ukraine. It's just to keep the fight going. So if you supply just enough weapons to keep Ukraine fighting, but not any more that would force NATO to be involved, then you're keeping everything contained in Ukraine, and therefore you're using Ukrainians as sacrificial lambs. And many people have explained this uh, in stark terms. Um, For example... Oliver North recently spoke on Fox News, and he talked about how um, basically that the Ukraine proxy war is, is is very much like what Reagan did in the 80s. And he said, their blood are bullets. That, was, that Those are those his words. Their blood are bullets, which is a great summary of the uh, proxy war. And um, this week in The Washington Post... Condi Rice, the former Secretary of State, and Bill Gates, the Defense Secretary, had an op ed where they're saying that the U.S. strategy is not enough, that it needs to escalate because, uh, in their words, time is not on Ukraine's side. And so they say Meanwhile, although Ukraine's response to the invasion has been heroic and its military has performed brilliantly, the country's economy is in shambles. Millions of its people have fled, its infrastructure is being destroyed and much of its mineral wealth, industrial capacity, and considerable agricultural land are under Russian control. Ukraine's military capability and economy are now dependent almost entirely on lifelines from the West, primarily the United States. Absent another major Ukrainian breakthrough and success against Russian forces, Western pressures on Ukraine to negotiate a ceasefire will grow as months of military stalemate pass. I'll read that again. Absent another major Ukrainian breakthrough against Russian forces, Western pressures on Ukraine to negotiate a ceasefire will grow as months of military stalemate pass. And in their words, that's an outcome we don't want. They don't want to see Western pressures for a ceasefire. They want to avoid that. So they, they say they go on to say the only way to avoid such a scenario is for the U.S. and its allies to urgently provide Ukraine with a dramatic increase in military supplies and capability, sufficient to deter a renewed Russian offensive and to enable Ukraine to push back Russian forces in the east and south. But what I think they know is that if the U.S. really r- radically escalates its support, that that could draw Russia and NATO into direct confrontation. So some people in Washington are so worried about Ukraine's prospects that they're willing to risk right now a direct Russia-U.S. war. So, in other words, they're willing to risk nuclear catastrophe. But that's the inevitable conclusion when you try to use Ukraine as cannon fodder. That eventually, you're not going to be able to sacrifice enough Ukrainians. You're going to have to risk a wider war if you want to achieve your aims, which is to, you know, permanently weaken Russia and even achieve regime change. So, it's still a very dangerous moment, and we're, see, you know, the U.S. is kind of flirting with both sides. They're playing footsie. They're they are now radically escalating their military support but still not at the levels that Ukraine wants and um, who knows what will hold, uh, who knows what kind of pressure they're under and whether this unwillingness to enter into direct confrontation will last. I mean that's the problem with war. It's it's unpredictable and the fever right now in Washington is so pro-war that it's quite possible that Joe Biden is not politically strong enough to withstand it. So I mean that's all the more reason why these things have to be avoided and negotiations should be uh, encouraged. And uh, as ever, it's a dangerous time. And there's some talk that maybe a new Congress with Republicans now in control of the House will change things. I- I'm skeptical of that, but but we'll see. But uh, it's as always a very dangerous moment. And uh, that's my rant. All right. A lot of callers. Great to see. So let's open it up to callers. And uh, Amanda, you are first.
4: Hello, Aaron. Thank you for your um, guest hosting on Jimmy Dore for your explanations just now with Ukraine and, and the force, the vote. Um, so I, I just, I have a question that's been kind of nagging. I'm not sure what I think about it yet. And, and I don't know if you've had thought about this or not, but, um, I saw someone making the argument related to force the vote that that the if had the progressives done that two years ago, um, they they wouldn't have been allowed to get away with it as long. And part of the reason why these um, the Freedom Caucus I think is is what they're calling themselves is has is getting away with it is because they're aligned with Wall Street and and the left progressives you know would be demanding things that would be antithetical to the interests of the corporate and financial state and and I I, I kind of can see the argument but I'm not I'm not Have you thought about that?
0: Well, who let The House Republicans get away with it because it looked to me like their party was pretty pissed off at them. And the fact is, I I just don't I just question the premise. Like if they're a block willing to use their leverage and they don't need anyone's permission to have this rebellion, they just do it. And that's what. We wanted progressives to do two years ago. Oh, I totally and-
4: agree. No, I'm totally agree. I totally think they missed the opportunity. I think, and I think that um, that the point has been made quite well by you and by Brianna Joy Gray that it's just the media, the amount of attention that that's being paid to the inner workings of the Congress, it's it's a it's it could have been a really wonderful platform two years ago to really push yeah. Push now ideas.
0: Listen, that's where I think, okay, I can see the argument. So let's say there was a progressive rebellion, the same thing, like the analogous thing, but for progressives. And they're talking about Medicare for all, for example. Would there have been as much attention as there was paid to the Republicans? Probably not. They would have found ways to sort of like, you know, downplay it maybe. But still, it would have gotten some attention. It probably wouldn't have gotten the same level of like round the clock coverage that this got. OK, but it would have gotten something, you, you, you know, it's all counterfactual, but you can't argue that it wouldn't have caused some kind of a stir to see these like, you know, principled. I mean, I, I'm fantasizing now, principled, progressive holding out for like, again, whether it's Medicare for all or some other or, or $15 minimum wage, something to help working people. Oh, well, no matter how hard the corporate media would have tried, they would have had to acknowledge it in some way.
4: I I fully agree, and I fully I I am fully on board that it was a missed opportunity, and it and it does it, it unfortunately didn't get as much attention as it should have to call out the fact that Congress isn't really and and but I I want to commend you and and the constellation of folks that have been on this forever, and the funniest thing is Ben Burgess. Has continues to like say that it was a bad idea, but then Jacobin came out with an article just today saying that progressives should ta- should be watching the tactics of those right right wing groups. Oh yes,
0: and that's what, and, did you know, see that? I, I did see it, and of course they can't bring themselves to credit Jimmy, which I think is just so petty and stupid. And listen, honestly, it's something everyone needs to get over. If someone I don't like personally has a good idea, I'm not gonna not credit them. You know, people deserve credit if they have a good idea. And we have to rise above personalities here. And um, it's just, you know, Jim, it's like it's there's something unfair also about like not rewarding courage. Courage should be rewarded. So people like Jimmy and Bree who like went out on a limb and like, you know, challenged the progressives in Congress, which is uncomfortable to do. You know, it's not easy. And it, it brings you, you know, they should be commended for that. And at minimum, if you won't commend somebody for courage, you at least have to acknowledge that they did it. And so you can't pretend that this that this idea comes from Republicans. I mean, talk about horseshoe theory. Yeah. If you're not even willing to credit progressives for actually having the idea first, you need to credit Republicans. I mean, that's you actually doing the bidding for Republicans because you're not giving credit to people on your own side who advocated this first. And I just all that petty stuff is it's just very very unfortunate. But whatever, I think I think for many people this has been a uh, clarifying moment. And I think people like Jimmy, I I personally wasn't I I didn't play any role in this. I just I I thought it was a good idea when they were saying force the vote. And I I basically like I retweeted it, and I I'm sure I tweeted in support of it, but I didn't do anything concrete to like to. Bring it forward, um, except maybe doing a live stream or something. But Jimmy and Brianna did, and they took risk. And then Brianna lost a lot of friends and allies. And I think her subscriber count took a hit. Um, and uh, so it's people like that. That should be, if you can't bring yourself to commend them, you at least have to acknowledge them. And yeah. it's, yeah.
4: Yeah, it would be it it could also be good if people could let go of an idea being attached to a specific person even if it's my idea it shouldn't be my idea once i've shared it absolutely and i, yes. and I well, should be okay with letting letting it go because yeah. it's for the but that's you know every not everybody th- i understand not everybody thinks that way unfortunately if
0: you i mean if you listen to what, the way jimmy talks about it he always goes out of his way to credit the dsa with the idea Cause it was in their handbook. I was like, what should be a progressive tactic? Well, it should include leveraging your vote to win concessions. So, and when Jimmy does it, he will read from the, from whatever DSA text it was that put forward the idea. But then the DSA apparently, I don't follow this too closely, but apparently the DSA wouldn't get behind the force of the vote, or at least some faction of the, of the DSA wouldn't. So it's, um, of course. Yeah. It's definitely, it's not about individuals. It's about the idea. And um it's just petty when the individuals that did push the idea can't at least be acknowledged for it. Yeah. I just that's unfortunate. Yep. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Amanda, Have for the call. A good- you too. Okay, next caller, Johnny G.
5: Hey Aaron, how you doing? Hi there. How are you? Good, good. Um, hey, uh, wonderful job, um, uh, interviewing Scott Ritter as the, uh, off the bench for for Jimmy this week uh, on the on the on the show. Uh, he's always always entertaining, yeah. a little over the top from time to time. But I did enjoy him calling uh, CIA guys alcoholic storytellers, which was very fun. Um, there's lots of good good content in those interviews, so I'd recommend everybody. You know, uh, Aaron. You know, I'm 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 here to pump up Aaron so he doesn't have to do it himself. Uh, go watch uh, <laughs> the Jimmy Dore show clips with Aaron interviewing Scott Ritter. They're excellent.
0: Yeah. For um, so
5: those who <laughs> do I got I got a plug for the new ones too I'm just uh just starting yeah. to watch those when you when your show popped on
0: yeah for those who don't know I guest hosted the Jimmy Dore show this past week and so I interviewed uh, Scott Ritter and Matt Taibbi and Brianna Joy Gregg and so they're all on the Jimmy Dore YouTube channel and I'll be doing it again this week it was the worst week by the way I couldn't think of a worse week for Jimmy to try to take a vacation because he, he takes a vacation I come in to guest host and then Republicans force the vote <laughs> which is a huge indication for him, you know? And, um, and so the forced the vote thing comes up again. And like the same people who are attacking him for force to vote are now are still defending their position. And they're of course, misrepresenting their own position. And they're denying that they were, one of the things they said back then, this was so funny. They said that Kevin McCarthy could become speaker. If Democrats forced the vote. Then Kevin McCarthy could become speaker. Well, now Republicans have the majority and Kevin McCarthy still couldn't become speaker and. Until he gave <laughs> concessions, so it is so disingenuous.
5: Um, they'd rather they'd rather lie to their audience than they would just admit we don't want to do that. We don't. Yeah. We'd
0: rather protect our colleagues than yes. use
5: power to make them uncomfortable.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it, like, yeah,
5: I, I don't. I don't go. I, I don't. It's hard to know what, what's in their head. Why they? Why would they have no appetite for a fight? You know, because yeah. I actually just posted uh, in the in the early part of the chat. I think it's tremendous to, to view the clip you had of, um, you know, the way, uh, um, AOC was talking and look at the tone when Bobert, Lauren Bobert goes on Hannity. I mean, she was up for the fight. She was itching for it. Hannity didn't want to hear a word she had to say and she just kept on. Now it's, you have to sort of like, you know, stomach it, you're right, because it's a Fox News interview and, you know, it's another planet, right? but it's worth listening to the the content of what she says she's actually and honestly she's not the most articulate anyway right but it becomes very clear that she's trying to explain to hannity that she is contesting power and hannity doesn't want to hear it he's like who do you want as speaker who's your final choice for speaker and she's like no sean we're, we're contesting power we would like to decentralize power from the leadership of the party of the Congress down to the members and like Hannity just doesn't want to hear it wants to run right over her. And that I I just think this argument isn't pushed around enough. I mean, obviously you guys are doing a tremendous job saying, well, how valuable force the vote is, but this mechanism that they fought for and seem to have gotten is allows them to basically put the speaker on a very short leash where they can yank the speaker with like one, one member has to, has to go in there and, um, I forget what the mechanism is called, right, but basically one person can topple the speaker or put a put a no confidence vote or like the u s equivalent of it right um do you know what it 's called i actually don 't remember i 've seen it uh, i don 't and i don 't i i think it 's I, I wish I had known it now but i it's it 's far more it 's how they toppled John Boehner years ago when they when they docked him out and got Paul ryan in
0: yes. Yes.
5: Yes. So so honestly, I think that is an underrated part of the conversation. I don't think it like I, I think we're overlooking real importance when we say, oh, they're fighting over procedural issues. Well, no, they're contesting power. They want power that leadership doesn't want to give them that Nancy Pelosi would never give the Democratic, you know, the members of the Congress. Nancy Pelosi took that away. Right. As soon as she got the gavel back and now the Republicans are putting it back. Well, the rebels made them do it right now that they've retaken the Congress or re- retaken the House specifically. Right. So they have the ability to topple um, Kevin McCarthy from the speaker's chair far more easily than Democrats ever could have done to Nancy Pelosi. She eliminated that rule. The squad didn't contest it. Nobody in the Democratic Party contested it when Nancy Pelosi eliminated it. That consolidated and that came in very huge during the CARES Act fight. Right. Because very quickly. It, it became almost a near dictatorship within the Congress, not, you know, outside of it, but I'm saying just in the chamber, Nancy Pelosi was writing legislation, Mitch McConnell was writing legislation, you know, Chuck Schumer was in there, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy was in there, it was bound to like four people in the Biden White House were writing legislation, committee chairs stopped mattering, the broader, you know, there was no opportunity to do amendments and make changes and, you know, hold hearings and, all of that just got swept aside and it was, you know, the offices of those individuals that, in the leadership positions writing legislation, handing it down to Congress for a quick yes or no, and then, you know, moving on and then pressuring the hell out of everybody to vote yes. So that's a huge consolidation of power in the, in the form of, uh, in the, in the hands of the leadership of both parties. And they were both happy to have it that has now been pried loose by those rebels. Uh, by the rebels in that, you know, it's only a little bit, right? It's just this one mechanism, but I think it's, it
0: restores power to the ordinary members in a way that. Yes. And there's another point to be made here. Um, You know, talking about Boebert, this has actually exposed another really embarrassing thing I think for Democrats where, so what is their line about people like Gates and Boebert? Is that they're all Trump cultists. They do whatever Trump says. The Republican party is a cult. Trump is the leader. Except Trump, suffering. Trump told they're, them not to do it. They're all <laughs> supplicants to Trump. What happened? They all they all he, defied Trump. told them not Trump. to do it, and they did it yeah. anyway. Yeah, and they and they, and they said and they said respectfully, we all you know we, we love Trump, but sorry, you're wrong on this, and we're not going to listen to you. Whereas, what Democrat has defied Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries <laughs> on something like this? I mean, you can't point to it. So, so does that make Democrats a cult? You know, according to their definition of the Republicans, yes. A lot more cult-like than the Republican Party I mean, is right you know, now. And it's just sad. I mean, and there is, I think, a, you know, like Trump does have a grip on the party. And that's that's fair to say, I think. But this actually shows a case of real independence that I haven't seen on the Democratic side. And the point for me in this is not to praise Republicans. I don't, I'm not encouraging any kind of support for Republicans. It's to show where Democrats are being deficient, especially the progressives, which is, you know, what I care about most. Uh, Johnny, thank you for the call. Thanks. Appreciate it. Robin. Hello. Hi there.
3: Hi, Aaron. Um, uh, just want to also say good job um, on Jimmy Dore's show this past week. And um, also uh, for anybody that's listening that has not, uh, I would encourage everybody to go and listen to Brianna Joy Grace debrief from Thursday night. The first 20 minutes of, of that where she just i mean she is just totally unfiltered it is some of the best call in i have ever heard in my life <laughs> i have listened to that probably at least 5 times over the past 2 or 3 days it is wow
0: okay terrifying.
3: all right so just well, the first I thought 20 she was minutes
0: yeah. yeah i thought i thought uh, she was great when when she came on with me on the Jimmy Dore show this week but i will um i'll check that out <laughs> for sure
3: yeah, I mean, because you know, when she's on, um, you know, on Jimmy Dore, or even on her own podcast, or you know, when she's on her Bad Faith podcast, or when she's on The Hill, you know, she maintains a certain level of of professionalism. And don't get me wrong, she was not just off the rails or anything like that. But it's it's almost like she get she showed you a part of herself as if she if you guys were if you're like sitting in a restaurant or at a bar, and she's just kind of just letting it all out in terms of what's going on. And that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it was absolutely amazing to hear her say that.
4: Um, Mm.
3: So uh, that, like I said, first 20 minutes, Thursday night, pure fire. Uh, So now um, I wanted to talk about how with this forced to vote thing, I I think it's, it's absolutely great. I think it was great for the American people to see and to be reminded of what our congressmen and women are actually supposed to do. They are actually supposed to fight for the people, regardless of whether or not you agree with, again, with what the Republicans, you know, were fighting for, they fought. And that was, that was the, the big takeaway around that. Um, but I, I was looking at YouTube and just kind of did a, a quick force-to-vote sh- uh, search, to see, well, what all are people saying, you know, outside of the the few folks that I listen to on, on YouTube. And I came across this one uh, video from Majority Report. I typically don't look at their stuff. But the title was from three days ago, Forced to Vote Morons Eager to Remind You How Dumb They Are. And I'm just like, what? Wow. You know, I'm a libertarian. So I don't really get, you know, bogged down in a bunch of red-blue politics. I think both parties are terrible, you know, Um, but I like I like honest, intellectually honest discussions. I like robust uh, discussion about philosophical issues when it comes to economic policy or foreign policy or things like that. So I can get a better understanding of where somebody is coming from. And when I see things like that, I don't understand. I want to who are they talking to? They're not talking to me. I don't understand who he's trying to convince when he when he has these flame throwing uh, topics out there. Uh, I, I just don't get it. And frankly, I at this point in time, I don't understand what Democrats in general want. I understand what the left wants. That's that's made very clear. When I look at people like Breonna Joy Gray and Sabby Sabs and and uh, and I look at people like. Uh, Jimmy Dore, I know what they want. Uh, I know the Republicans say that they're for smaller government. They're not. <laughs> I know that the Republicans say that they're for lower taxes. Yeah, they are for low. I would give them that or whatever. Um, but, you know, I know what the Republicans say. I don't believe them. Uh, I know what the left wants, but, you know, but I don't know what Democrats want uh, because I don't see anything in terms of what they do that ex- that differentiates them from, from anything and so so i'm you know maybe that's why they don't want to force anything because they don't believe in anything just and that's an honest question i have what do they want to do because we know what they're not gonna do what do they want to do
0: isn't there a movie or something called like what do women want or something like that or (laughs) you know so yeah it's a good question what do leftists want uh it's a great question you know and it's it's a question made more difficult by, unfortunately, the squad, who were the hope of many leftists who were going to take on the establishment. And I think on some issues they've been great, but I think also because some of them have become influencers, more more influencers, I think, than politicians, it's muddied the waters. And for people who want access to them and who want to believe in, that they're really doing something concrete, it's it's made leftist politics more about you know being down with influencers and it, you know, appealing to that kind of culture and not really doing anything substantive and abandoning basic principles like opposing neocon foreign policy. Uh, shining example being the, the Ukraine proxy war, where you have every single self-identified progressive voting for it constantly, and not even and, and even with even withdrawing their own call for diplomacy uh, under a little bit of pressure. So it's a great question. And um, for me, you know, as someone who identifies as a leftist and, you know, I know many leftists, by the way, who who have stopped, uh, stopped identifying as a leftist for precisely the reasons you're identifying is because it doesn't mean what it used to anymore. And they don't want to be associated with a movement that's like, that's not really aligned with like working people and is caught up in identity politics only. I mean, I'm personally fine with, you know, uh, identity politics being part of what a leftist is. I think there's, there's obviously inequities that have to be addressed when it comes to identity and I'm fine with that but when that's the only focus and it comes at the expense of other you know material issues that to me is not the kind of leftism that I subscribe to so you raise a great question and I guess that's the responsibility of everybody who identifies as a leftist to to answer I know the answer for me like my principles have never changed but the culture has and so that's what we all got to deal with
3: All right well um, I'm going to hang up but based on what you told me it sounds like they're the the political version of televangelists, and uh i don't want to yeah. be part of that so <laughs> thanks a lot
0: thank you thanks for the call all right jamie oh by the oh, way before i forget, forget let me just said, say and jamie you're jamie, echoing, I'm echoing so, so i'm gonna mute you for a second um, let me just say that Speaking of interviews I did this week, so I, you know, I was guest hosting on the on the Jimmy Dore show, but also this week on Useful Idiots, Katie Halper and I interviewed Ivan Kachinowski. And I really recommend if you're interested in the Ukraine war, I really recommend it because he is a Ukrainian voice that we're not allowed to hear in US state media. He's a scholar who's done a lot of work on Ukraine. Um, exposed a very key lie, which was used, been used to basically justify the coup of 2014, backed by the U.S., which really kicked this whole thing off. Uh, He exposed this massacre called the Maidan Massacre, which was blamed on the Yanukovych government. And that's the government that the U.S. helped overthrow. And blaming the massacre on Yanukovych's government helped trigger that coup. And what Kachanovsky has exposed in his scholarship is that the massacre was almost certainly carried out by the side that the U.S. was supporting, the pro-coup faction uh, back in Ukraine. So, and he has many other views that run counter to the establishment line. So I, I very much recommend the interview for people interested in, in the Ukraine war. That's at the useful idiots, um, YouTube page and also useful idiots that Okay. And for that guest who I just kicked out, I apologize. If you come back in the queue, I'll, I'll let you back in. I forget your name, but, uh, I couldn't, I wanted to not hear that echo. Okay. Jonathan, you are up for now and then we'll, Again, if that guest who I kicked out wants to come back, I will let you back in. All right, Jonathan, go ahead.
6: Yeah, this is a, a it's an app where it's easy to push the wrong button or make a mistake. It's a still needs a lot of work, I guess. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to say I, I thoroughly uh, I enjoyed the uh, the show you did with Brianna Joy Gray. I can't think of a better team up of people with an aptitude for clearly and concisely framing the relevant issues. And what that kind of gets me to is, especially with what just happened with the Republicans, obviously, which is why we're taking a victory lap. uh, You know, it's so stark and so obvious that at a certain point, it's it's one of those issues where you just have to ask, what side of the picket line are you on? And I'm starting to see some of the same dynamics that were around the original time, surface again with some of the same people and i don't even know what to make of it at this point because like are these people ops or do they have a brain rot and i don't know how you would even tell the difference i wondered if maybe you had some insight on that because i i can't i can't make heads or tails of you know the ben burgesses or the sam cedars continuing to double down when we can see everybody can see that they were completely wrong the whole time? Uh, I don't know what drives people. And for every
0: person, it's different, I imagine. And you have to know someone's backstory and to really know what their motives are. But to the extent one can generalize, I think there's just an insular culture where people, there's like, you know, it's kind of like high school, where there's like, there's like a cool kid table and then like the nerds, right? And people feel, have a perception of what the cool kid table is. And that's the one that's kind of like, you know, they they're like they sometimes criticize the establishment, but they're still accepted by the establishment. So, for example, they still have contracts with MSNBC. And so they want to keep some, uh, some impression of being edgy and countercultural and lefty, but still being accepted by the mainstream. So they still want to be embraced. They still want to be in the loving arms of the mainstream. You know, as as Cenk uh, Uyghur said about me when he accused me of being a Russian agent, he said, how's that Russian blanket, tr- uh, warm Russian blanket treating you, Aaron, or something like that? And I, what I think he was doing there, he was projecting is because he wants to still, you know, claim to be a progressive while still being in the warm blanket of the establishment. And that's why he's funded by, you know, a Democratic me- mega donor. And so... Uh, and I just so and, I, and then it it's also just petty stuff. so like Jimmy Dor is someone who's you know uh, very he has a good bullshit detector and he's constantly taking strong positions. that gets vindicated like with Russia gate, and they don't because when you do when you go out on a limb on stuff like that, you lose your access and so and you also lose what's called respectability. So you want to be able to like respect respected by by liberals. And if you challenge these core orthodoxies like Russia Gate or the Ukraine proxy war or you challenge the squad, then you're no longer respectable in their eyes. And so they want to appeal to that. It's, it's, it's respectability politics. That's my guess, but I don't know. Um, I I try as little as possible publicly to question people's motives or discern what they are. I, I just try to focus on the arguments and the issues. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting to watch. It's amazing to me, even in, after all this, you have a concrete example of a group of lawmakers using their leverage to gain something. And still, the people who trashed that strategy for progressives two years ago still can't admit that they're wrong. Well, so, something's going on there. And that's, I think, to anyone with their eyes open, they'll, they won't look kindly on that. And they will see that as very disingenuous and pathetic, frankly.
6: Well, if you can figure out a way to get other people to also focus strictly on the issues and lead personalities out of it. You please share this with us as soon as you figure it out. Well, I can only do, I'm only
0: responsible for myself. So I try to, you know, behave in a certain way and uh, hope, and and if, you know, and hope that might, others might see something that resonates with them that they might emulate too. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not responsible for, uh, anyone, unfortunately, but myself, for better or for worse. And so, uh, you know, but yeah, um, if you look at someone like Brie, also, I think Brie tries very, very hard to avoid personality conflicts and uh, to try to focus on the issues. And uh, you see what happens to her in response. She gets viciously attacked sometimes, really unfairly. And uh, that's just how it is, you know, this how it is. Yeah. All well, right. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Neoliberal tears.
2: Hello, happy, uh, happy force the vote, uh, Victory Lap, Aaron, and to everybody in the chat who has been through this exercise and gaslighting, um, this entire time. It, it feels, it feels great. Um, and, uh, you know, I have working titles for the mini series and all of that. Um, you know, we'll be studying this years from now. Um, but for the, for the, f- for the few people who might still think, you know, so I guess the question now comes down to is the squad just stupid or, you know, is it a case of mental retardation thereafter? Or is it, you know, malicious or intentional? And I found this great article uh, um, from Edward Isaac Dover for a uh, rehabilitated Russia Gator, um, who also wrote the Assange um, CIA uh, uh, kidnapping plot expose. And he profiled Hakeem Jeffries. And there's a, as a forced vote historian uh, myself, I found this weird paragraph where he talks about how, um, in several conference calls in that, in that, that spring of 2021, um, justice Democrat staff joined a collection of congressional aides and other groups like the Working Families Party and the Sunrise Movement to talk about how to extract concessions from Jeffries on his way to becoming speaker. So one of the things AOC was saying back then is that it was a late tactic, you know, like she's a professor or something. And she was like schooling people on like, um, why, why are you submitting this tactic late, this forced vote? Which wasn't even, but. Um, and it says that the groups at least for, uh, hoped to force him into winning on a second ballot and making deals for support along the way. Um, and it says that they couldn't agree on how to do that. Or find any member willing to run against Jeffries in a speaker vote. No one thought it was a good idea, um, and they couldn't get anyone from the congressional progressive caucus interested. So they gave up. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just wondered what you thought about that. Like that the squad gave up the ball, even when groups like even the Sunrise Movement like asked them back then. Said,
0: <sighs> yeah, I didn't know that story. Um... Yeah, look, see, it's, you know, the one thing I'll say is that, you know, Washington is such a dirty town that it's really hard to be someone with principle. It's And if you are, you're going to get, like, picked apart. They're going to come after you like hyenas and try to chase you out of town. Like, that happened with Dennis Kucinich. He was a, an actual principled person on war. Like, he was against the Iraq War, and then he was against the Libya War against the Syria dirty war. And he got like just viciously attacked by everybody, especially members of his own party. And so I understand going in there as a progressive, like I always I, I should have put myself in the shoes of, of people who I'm criticizing and, and uh, come up with the most good faith interpretation possible of their actions. So Rashida Tlaib, right? She's Palestinian. And, you know, she's the, I think the um, first Palestinian American woman elected to, to Congress. And um, I know it's a cause that's very important to her. And so I imagine in that situation, you know, maybe you think to yourself, and I'm just speculating here, I have no inside knowledge, but maybe, okay, well, if I compromise on this, maybe I'll get some, maybe down the line that I'll I'll be rewarded with, you know, some concrete returns on this issue that I really care about, or whatever it is, some other issue. Um, And so I, I, because, you know, I can't afford to be a rebel on this because then they're going to make my life impossible. And I won't be able to get to try on these other things. So I'm going to play ball for now. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to hear someone make the case like for what is the most good faith interpretation possible. But, uh, it, again, I, I'm not surprised to hear the story because it just shows that, um, there's a lack of interest in trying to play a leadership role, you know, and to try to really be like an actual anti-establishment figure, you know, and do something. Um, You know, and and then I also I but I also think about I also in trying to think about what is the most good faith interpretation. Well, maybe for some people the legacy of Dr. King and Malcolm X and Fred Hampton hangs over them. And they've seen and and other people who have really principled people, uh, who have lost their lives because of their convictions, because of the courage of their convictions. And that does happen that if you if you're an actual threat to the establishment, you know, the consequences can include career consequences reputational consequences, consequences to your family, and even you can lose your life, you know? Um, And so maybe that's been internalized in some level and people just don't, are only willing to go so far and risk so much. And I haven't risked that much in my life. Like I, I certainly risked, I mean, the one thing I've risked politically was with Russiagate uh, that was at a moment. Of, uh, that was at a moment in my life where I just left Democracy Now after ten years, and I was like trying to make it media, do do something. And I was applying for all these jobs. And I knew at that time that when I came out and called Russiagate Gate as the bullshit that it is, I knew that was going to cut off forever a whole bunch of paths for me that to me before had been possible. But I just decided, you know, fuck it. I, I feel really strongly about this, and I just think this. I I just really feel strongly about this, and I I feel very passionate about this issue and it's worth it to me. And if if it doesn't work out, if if media like if if I lose all my opportunities in media, so be it. Like I'll find something else. No. You know. But I had the, you know, that I had my own context in which I made that decision. So, you know, um I always knew for example that if I was like if I lost all job opportunities and I really needed help, I have a family that could have my back. You know, so everyone's got their own context and I don't know. That's a long-winded way of saying that um, I try to think of the most best, you know, good faith interpretation for any, everyone's actions, and but when it comes to the minimum, I think of being an elected progressive in Congress. I just don't think this crop has met it, and I think whether it's forced to vote, whether it's the example you gave of not wanting to even run, or, or it's the Ukraine, it's or it's the Ukraine proxy war. It's it's careerism that is unfortunately, and wanting to be accepted and an, influ, and an influencer is is. Too prevalent a factor,
3: oh,
2: I think that 's beautifully said. <laughs> How can I follow that? Um, and I think you know if if I, the last thing i 'll say, I guess is that um, I think the arc of your career really has been about sticking to your integrity and and principles. And in a, in a weird way, um, and I wish someone could have explained it to the squad is that sticking to your principles into integrity and in hard moments is actually what builds your influence. Um, like massively, um, yeah. it shoots well, it into the stratosphere.
3: Um,
2: yeah, like that's why people listen to you. let that's why we're all in this room right now. And, yeah. um, some people can't get more than two. So. You see, like, and the AOC and the squad, they're having fundraising issues, right? Yeah. Um, the base yeah. that used to donate to them has left. And I think mm-hmm. what bothers me is seeing people like Matt Gates taking on the mantle on primetime television saying, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm against special interests and the concentration of uh, the power of leadership at the top.
6: In both and you, if someone
2: that- could tell him, could tell yeah. them that he's probably doing fundraising uh, circling wheel, like uh, whatever yeah. wagon wheels right now or whatever, and they would have benefited from that. Some of the conservatives that sent him money right now, they would have sent it to the squad if they did that two years ago. Yeah, and I'm worried that people that used to donate to the squad would have seen someone like Matt Gates and said, "That's a fighter to me." So you know, he I guess didn't have the <laughs> Martin Luther King, yeah. um, trauma and fear reaction, but he's yeah. they've taken yeah anyway. Thank you for and, you
0: know and, right. and and you know um, an earlier caller was asking about why some media figures still can't admit they're wrong and I was talking about their animus toward Jimmy and I think part of their animus toward Jimmy comes from the fact that he has gained such a huge following by sticking to his principles and being right on a lot of issues where being wrong has been rewarded with you know uh, with, with like you know spots in media and jobs in media but it was wrong and he's been he's been rewarded by his audience by being right and sticking to his principles. And they resent him for that because they haven't done that. And um, that's what I think drives some of the animus on their part toward him. And, but you know, like the sad thing is about this world is that the people who get, who stick to their principles aren't always rewarded. So when you see a case like Jimmy and to a certain extent, myself as well, who get rewarded for sticking to whatever the truth, like, you know, principles um, like things worked out like with me very well by, by going hard on Russiagate. I mean, that, things worked out great. It's actually, it, it, it's it been amazing for me. But it doesn't always happen. And so it, it is always a gamble. And I can't in good conscience tell someone you always have, you know, that's a personal decision to make. And, you know, I know someone, for example, who for years has been an attorney working in a really tough environment on a really, really, like, working for no money but defending – um lower income people who are in really tough positions and doing it because he really believes in it and there was never any path toward him being rewarded for it it was all it was thankless work and it was um difficult work and his clients were difficult because they don't even always appreciate they don't they don't don't, a lot of them don't even have the capacity to appreciate what he's doing for them um but he did it he stuck to it because he believes in it and he recently got rewarded with some um like great position uh, where he 's going to be it 's at an institution and he 's going to be basically teaching uh, and helping students do the same thing and so it 's wonderful that happened and he was rewarded for for keeping it real, but at the same time it was never guaranteed this just kind of appeared from nowhere and so i can 't tell someone to do you have to do that because it 's it is a gamble, and people have to think about you know their own circumstances and supporting a family and whatever else it is they and also whether they want to take on the stress that comes from doing the right thing because when you do the right thing there are people who want to punish you for it you know so it's a very course, individual choice course.
2: but if you're a congress member i feel like yeah. the line that ran on 15 dollars wage yeah. uh, i feel like maybe that as you said the bar is a little higher for you um, yeah. um and uh i think also you've been you know i just wanted to really last thing, I promise, is that, you know, the way TYT went after you in such a clownish way, I think as karma is playing a role in all of this, I really think so. And all of the segments that we saw them, that we've saw Jenk yelling into the camera about Kevin McCarthy and how you're um, an idiot and a traitor, if you don't agree with him, like all of those segments that were so cringe now are, because they did so many, are now going to live forever. And we're always... Because in the context of history, they age like fine wine. Oh, so, sure. sure. Yeah. So happy yeah. happy um, reckoning to you and to everybody. And uh, All
0: yeah. right. Thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. Felipe. Felipe, are you there? There you go.
7: Hello? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay. No. Oh, I think we we got a bad okay. delay here. Uh, I'm not sure if you're hearing me live now, or is it like a five five seconds ago? You're hearing what I said five seconds ago. I I'm hearing you now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll try to make it work. If it gets too bad, I'll, I'll call in some other day. Uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment about uh, what I've seen here in Brazil, which is my home country. I do reside in the U.S., um, but I've, you know, I've, I'm visiting here for the end of the year and uh, I've been watching the news and seeing how the war in Ukraine is covered here. Uh, so I just wanted to make one comment and hopefully it will be interesting to you and the listeners. Uh, just one question before I, um, Two quick questions before I make the comment is on the ceasefire uh, over Christmas that uh, um, there was made in, in Ukraine. Uh, do you know if uh, do you have any certainty as to you know, who violated or you know, who started the, uh, you know, the violations or would you just chalk it up to, you know, it's, 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 it's the war and obviously, you know, it would end up being violated. So that's the first question. And the second question is on the two people who died. On that uh, on that day of the Christmas, I think one was in Kharkiv, the other one in Donetsk. Uh, the one in Donetsk. do you know if uh, it was a person in a Russian-controlled area or a Ukrainian-controlled area? I know those are fairly detailed questions. I just want to make sure that I get those facts right before I make my comment.
0: I don't know the answer to either of your questions, uh, and um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, no. yeah sorry.
7: Okay. No, that's fine. So, uh, you know, um because I was watching, you know, Brazilian media, mainstream media cover it, uh, and I found it very unfortunate because the Brazilian mainstream media, obviously, you know, it's mainstream media, so it's bad everywhere, right? It's not just in the United States. Um, but, you know, in times when the Iraq war was going on, it actually took a fairly adversarial position to the Iraq war as much of the world had taken at the time. So it's not subject to the exact same kind of pressures that the U S media mainstream media is when it comes to empire, um, matters, so to speak. And so when I first started seeing it here, I found it very discouraging to see that, you know, it's, it, it sounds a lot like the coverage that we see in the U S when it comes to the U- Ukraine war. Mm. And, you know, it, it was just a comment on these, uh, uh, the recent ceasefire because it was a segment on the national news, and it 's the most important news that there is in Brazil. It helped uh, oust presidents in the past, so it 's not an irrelevant uh, news show uh, and they started by saying i 'm going to paraphrase, but it was something pretty close to what i 'm going to say uh, that you know there were two people uh, killed in the in eastern ukraine they didn 't name the cities they didn 't say Donetsk, which is likely controlled uh, a russian controlled area where the person died. Um, and, um, then went on to say that Ukraine accuses Russia to have violated the ceasefire, uh, and then had, you know, a little segment with interviews in Kiev of people trying to enjoy Christmas while, you know, explosions go on in the background, they report, you know, things like that. Um, and I, I just found that very discouraging, uh, because, um, it is essentially what we see in the U.S. Uh, mainstream uh, news and uh, um, it is the exact same line that's being told even in, uh, um, in the global south in a country like Brazil. Uh, obviously, it is mainstream media, so you can't expect much. But I don't know if you've had any exposure, if you've you know, seen uh, this subject being covered in other areas that are not from NATO countries or you know, places like Latin America. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, for the little that I have seen, uh, it isn't much better than what you get
0: in the United States. Okay, let me ask you: What's happening in Brazil today? There's apparently the, there was a big protest and like a a a, a, a riot like a, a riot at the at the Congress. Uh,
7: yeah, um, you know I've you know I, I know very little. I just watched the news just now, and I had to dodge actually <laughs> an avenue that uh, uh, where there were protests. I'm in São Paulo right now, not in Brasília um but my my first read of it is is pretty much uh, january 6th but on january 8th i suppose um you know very similar clown show nothing too serious um you know they went in there broke some stuff up uh, bolsonaro is not even in brazil you know he wasn't even um, you know inciting it in recent times at least uh, as far as i'm aware um, and I don't think there's any clear strategy because at least for the January 6th, there was the idea of, you know, as, as outlandish as it was of, you know, stopping the, um, the uh, Biden from taking power and Pence from signing whatever. Uh, you know, in, in, here in Brazil, they, that wasn't even the case. And, you know, it's Sunday. There was no one in there in the Supreme Court. And in, in, um, there was, you know, Lula has already um, b- b- took power. So, you know, it's, it's January 6th, but worse in terms of, you know, it's even more common. It's, Mm, wow. OK, Felipe, Felipe, thank you for the call. Thank you for taking my
8: call. Steve. Hello, Aaron. Hi there. Hi, Aaron. Um, so the whole um, to force the vote or not to force the vote, that is the question. Um, I, I think the questions are much bigger than that. And uh, my favorite Quote on politics is by Eugene McCarthy, who ran for president to end the Vietnam War in 1968, and the quote was: I used to have it hanging in my college dorm room. Um, Being a politician is a lot like being a football coach. You have to be smart enough to understand the game, and dumb enough to think it's important. the The reality is, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Progressive. It's a show. It's a show it's It's not real. Um, it we've had so much thrown in our faces i I, I just kind of wish those of us you know on this call in, those of us who listen to Aaron, let's just be real about this it, it's it, it doesn't matter i I was I called into Ben Burgess when he had Glenn Greenwald on and some guy from the Jacobin. And they were they were going over this territory and talking about how and Glenn was talking about you know he has to constantly defend himself just like you do Aaron about Russia Gate and he has to constantly defend himself about the Democrats and Republicans are the same damn thing just like Jimmy Dore keeps saying but we keep forgetting what we already know and w- what I said to uh to Glenn and he thanked me for it. So that was kind of nice. I said, there's really two constitutions in this country. There's the 1787 constitution that we all are taught, taught in school and there's Congress and there's the the, uh, the executive branch and there's the Supreme Court. And then there's the second constitution and that was written in 1947 by a man named Paul Nitze." And that is called National Security Council Memorandum 68. And that was the blueprint for the deep state. And from that, from everything came the CIA and the NSA and all that stuff. And that is really the operating manual of the U.S. government since 1947. And a lot is coming out now about the Kennedy situation that uh, these people killed them. That they killed him because he wasn't he wasn't going along with all of their plans.
0: Yeah, Steve, I'm gonna stop you there because I've yeah. discussed this, this issue before, and as I've
8: said, I'm very open to that
0: argument, and I, of course, support the declassification of all the documents. And it's odd that you know so many years later, sixty years later, we still have not seen the full documents. So, but I will say, having read Rethinking Camelot by Noam Chomsky. And the Dark Side of Camelot by Seymour Hirsch. I'm not convinced about that portrayal of Kennedy. I'm just not.
8: I, uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron yeah. that's not. Yeah, I, I can I can stip that. I can stipulate that. My point is not about Kennedy. My yeah. point is about the operating instructions for the U.S. government. Is actually the National Security Memorandum, which said, "We must be on a permanent war footing, forever." because the American people didn't want any more wars in 1947. We must be on a permanent war footing forever, and we must be able to fight, and I'm not making this up, read it, two and a half major wars at the same time. And if you look at everything that actually gets done in this country, that is the operating manual. And I'll just... I'll just stop by saying there's going to be a rally January 14th in San Francisco, New York city. And, uh, so I hope everyone comes to the anti-war rally.
0: Okay. Awesome. January 14th, New York city, San Francisco. There's also another one in February on the anniversary of Russia's invasion in DC. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Um, Steve, thank you for the call. Andrew, you're next. Now I'm also going to ask, I'm going to have to uh, end the call in soon, so I'm not going to have time to get to every caller. So if there's any callers who don't feel the urgent need to speak today, who can wait till next time. um, If you want to if you could exit the queue so we get to everybody who feels that they have to say something today.
9: I'd appreciate that because I'm not going to have the time to get to everybody. Okay, Andrew, go ahead. Thanks, Aaron. I'll make it quick. I was actually going to bring up that February 19th anti-war rally, uh, the Rage Against War Rally. I had asked Brianna Joy Gray if she was familiar with it, and she hadn't heard of it and was slightly suspicious of who was involved, uh, I suppose. Um, I was just hoping maybe you or Katie could also reach out to her and, you know, try to extend an olive branch. I think it's really important. I think that her audience represents a segment of the left that doesn't have the same amount of crossover with people like Scott Horton, who's going to be there, as you know. Uh, as maybe yours and Katie's does. I just, I think this is one of the most important missions right now is to start unifying the left and the right on things we can agree on. And that, that rallies one of them. So I was, I obviously know about it. So I guess instead of a question, I just put in the request that you or Katie or someone, maybe I know that's very uh, bold of me to like put this task on you, but uh, maybe endorse it (laughs) or something to her so that she feels more comfortable with it. Cause I think it would really benefit from her attendance or, or anything like that thank you thanks um, Andrew okay next caller
10: hey Aaron how you doing
0: I'm good go ahead
10: um, I just wanted to try and ch- check something with you um, run, run something by you because I'm not entirely sure I've got this right uh, about the speaker but if if Kevin McCarthy was touted as the shoe-in and was entitled to the job, hence why it over 15 rounds nobody else could actually take the job off him via the vote. Um, I interpret that as essentially meaning that rather than being technically qualified for anything, that he's actually just done enough time in politics to have greased enough people's polls and done enough- Of course, greasy of deals. course he
0: has, of course, of course. I mean, so, yeah. he, I mean you get that job well, by being a insider and being, and do, you know, as Matt Gates said, if you sell shares of yourself, that's what Matt Gates said about Kevin McCarthy. So, cool, of course, okay. of course.
10: So, so on that basis, people are going, "Well, why didn't the DNC use these tactics?" Well, is it not? Could it not be possible that the DNC liked the rule set as represented by and, and enforced by Nancy Pelosi? They knew what the they knew the operating environment, and they wanted everybody to follow that. And the DNC of knew how to of extract course. the yes, wealth. Of course. And only when twenty people have come along now and yes. have decided we've got this one fractional opportunity where we've now got leverage and we'll use it. Okay. um, To change the rule set just a little bit. And and all you, all you're looking at, the way I look at this is all you're looking at really is a business, a set of senior managers in a business, just cloying for a little bit of competitive advantage amongst each other. And I don't see it as anything else other than that. There's no, well,
0: okay. Listen, the the counter argument to that is, yeah, I, I think it's true. Like, That it's, you know, I mean, what they're asking for is mostly procedural, right? But look, some of those procedural asks, I think, were substantive. Like, for example, they're saying that there has to be, the bills have to be, like, legible so that they're not, like, endless amounts of text that nobody reads before voting on them. So they want people to read the bill. They want public notice of the bills well in advance so the public has a chance to see what their lawmakers are voting on. And apparently they fought for defense cuts. And I will have to fact check this, but that was one of their asks, and apparently it went through. And also, they got a what's being billed as a new church committee to investigate the intelligence agencies. And Thomas Massey, who um, is in the uh, you know he he's a libertarian member of Congress on the Republican side, he says we're going to investigate the intelligence agencies, and we're going to go wherever the evidence leads us. And in fact, I have the clip here. Here he is speaking recently on Tucker Carlson's show, and he talked about this. And, and of course, the church committee, people don't know, that was the committee that was established uh, to investigate the intelligence agencies, uh, you know, and um, investigated COINTELPRO and investigated how the intelligence agencies have been cracking down on dissidents and subverting dissidents in the U.S. and elsewhere, too, around the world. And that was substantive. So they're talking about a church committee, too. So this is a bit of that Thomas Massey clip with Tucker Carlson.
1: So we spent all week telling you about the fight on Capitol Hill over who's going to be the next speaker of the House. Of course, at the beginning, the presumption was Kevin McCarthy was going to get the job. And then a group of his colleagues stood up and said, not so fast.
0: I'm going to skip ahead to Thomas Massie, so we don't have to hear this intro.
6: Uh, just
0: one second.
11: Here thanks you. tucker it, it looks like i'll probably be on that committee but i can't say that i will run it uh i will say that you know while we've seen this drama unplay on the house floor behind the scenes along with those people who uh withheld their vote for kevin mccarthy until they got the transformational changes in the house and the way the house works uh we were working with uh, to make sure that this church committee a suggestion that you've had and thank you for suggesting that i should be on it i don't know if you're clairvoyant or just made the future happen but it's happening Uh, we were making sure that this committee wasn't going to be fenced in, that it wasn't just going to be a show committee. We wanted to make sure that we have full jurisdiction, that if we stumble onto something at another three-letter agency, that they don't say, whoa, that's out of your jurisdiction. Or if we find out there's more than a violation of the First Amendment right, if there are other civil rights that are being violated, we've secured a guarantee that we can go wherever the evidence leads us.
0: So everyone who's in So look, That sounds great to me. Now, of course, you're dealing with Republicans here, establishment politicians, so there'll no doubt be people who wanna water this down and don't go wherever the evidence leads, as Massey promised they would. But the fact that there's even talk of investigating the intelligence agencies, and he mentioned there another three-letter agency and he's referring to the CIA. That to me is significant and something we're not hearing from Democrats. So I'm not making a prediction if except if I were to bet, I don't I don't think this will probably lead to anything significant. But it might. They could actually do their job of being another church committee, and if they did, that'd be amazing for everybody, because as we all know, the intelligence uh, agencies have totally abused their power, both domestically and around the world. That, that goes without saying. So, if there's a possibility of some substantive oversight, then that's something to be welcomed.
10: Cool, and and so just what I'll finish on this. The question I'd have in my mind then is, if people believe that what was what was achieved by these twenty odd guys is 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 decent, then isn't that a single marker of a few a few people's principles in politics that maybe those people deserve to be backed into the future? Uh,
0: well, I mean that's. That's not something I can advocate I, that's I mean I, I understand there's a there's an argument for that, but I have to look at all these people's individual uh, stances and the problem is I know that the, all these Republicans are going to have views that I abhor, for example wanting to cut food stamps I just can't I can't support someone who wants to do that personally for myself, but um, certainly I can support their individual ideas if I support their ideas. So a church committee absolutely. Sounds awesome. Or, you know, um, cutting the military budget. Absolutely. So I, I'm not into issuing blanket endorsements of people, but certainly it's, it's grounds for supporting their individual proposals. If you agree with them, like that's, that's my own personal take on it. Everyone's different. And for some people having this kind of stance is enough for them to be supported unconditionally in the future. And, you know, fair enough, but that's a personal thing, I guess
10: cool okay, especially,
0: for me, especially for me too. Being, you know being a journalist i try to i try to do as, i know this might sound uh inaccurate but i try to actually not to do advocacy especially for individual candidates um i did for bernie because just he was i thought such a so much better than everybody else but other than that you know um that's everyone's personal choice and uh thank you for the call no worries take it easy you too all right, final caller will be Andrew.
12: Hello, Mike. check. Hi there. Um, I can't see anything in the room chat, so I have no idea if that's an issue on my end or if Colin's just broken again well but,
0: i can see it i can so what i suggest is try updating the app after after you get off today and that will that will probably make a difference if you're not updated to the latest version
12: well i'm on the website so i don't know what the okay issue so maybe is. that's it but, um so, yeah yeah but um my message was uh about the um the fact that in the uk What's called a motion of no confidence in the US is called a motion to vacate the chair. Um, but in the UK, it's interesting because most of the successful motions of no confidence come from like an internal party vote to kick out their party leader rather than the minority party voting to, uh, kick out the government because they would tend to unite the majority even if the majority isn't entirely in favor of the government um like what happened in 2019 after Theresa may lost a brexit vote by a nearly two i think two-thirds margin but then when labor proposed a vote of no confidence in the government the conservatives all voted it down um but yeah uh and then also um i mean i'm i think i have slightly mixed feelings about this new select committee because um which, which i also just heard about for the first time when you brought it up because i for whatever reason Even though I also spend a lot of time on Twitter, the people I follow, despite being generally in alignment with our views, for whatever reason, they're not the people who are talking about the committee, or if they are, then Twitter's not showing them to me. So I think that in general, revitalizing the church committee is a good idea, but I think when Democrats are worried that this is going to be a tool for Republicans in the House to investigate Democrats in the administration, I think that's a very legitimate fear based yeah. on the fact that when the i mean when the Benghazi investigations happened, it wasn't about whether the u s was right to overthrow the government in Libya it was about whether Hillary was responsible
0: for the fact that
12: some of right. the rebels then went on
0: to That's a great point. That's up, a great point, uh, and that's something that should be. That's a great point, and that's something that should be avoided again. And by the way, Benghazi also was not about why Christopher Stevens, the ambassador, was in Benghazi. What was he doing? He was helping run guns yeah. to Syria to help arm the sectarian death squads as part of the dirty war there. So basically, using Gaddafi's looted stockpile to to arm a dirty war in Syria. And the Benghazi hearings got to that and they got some answers, but they stopped. They stopped short because ultimately they weren't interested in actual oversight of the intelligence community. They were just interested in a a limited political um, tool to use against Hillary Clinton. And so it'd be great if that could be avoided again because otherwise it will just be a political spectacle that won't go anywhere significant. So I agree at that point. And we're going to leave it there. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I appreciate you spending some time with me. And I hope your rest of your weekend goes well. And I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.